They were singing the song, just can't praise him enough. And my mind immediately goes to one of my favorite praise stories. It's in the Bible. It's in Revelation. I've taught it, I've preached it. You know, you've got the letters to the seven churches, and then all of a sudden, Revelation 4 and 5 opens up into this throne room scene. Matter of fact, in 4 and 2, John says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he goes on to describe him the throne and what's going on in that particular scene. And there's four beasts surround the throne. It said each of them had six wings. They were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night. And what they are saying it's very reminiscent of Isaiah. You see, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And just the very hem of his garment filled the temple, the throne room. And his voice shook everything that was under its power. And Isaiah heard the angels going about crying holy 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 is the lord god almighty holy 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 is the lord god almighty well you see in revelation 4 and 8 it tells us that they did not rest night or day they were doing it when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. They were crying, holy, holy, holy. And do you understand that even today, some thousands of years later, those same creatures are circling the throne and they are still crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was... Oh, and He is right now. It's not just was, not just will be when you get to heaven, but even right now in this very moment, while those creatures are circling the throne, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, it is in this very moment when we need to do the same thing, that we just need to lift our hands, we need to lift our voice, and we need to cry out the same thing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is, and my God, I promise you, He is coming again, and He wants to see all people come to the knowledge of truth he wants to carry you into the very throne room of heaven so that you can be just like the four and twenty elders so you can just fall down on your face and cry holy 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 lord god almighty he wants you to be in that same position that you can just fall down and cry holy 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 so you can cast your crowns before the throne. 
But I love going on to verse 11, what it says. We can cast our, cast our crowns at the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things. And for Thy pleasure, You... Do you understand? For the pleasure of God Himself, Wes, you were created. Sister Norma, for the pleasure of God, for His pleasure, He created you. They are and were created. Now when Isaiah seen this crying, holy, 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 he said, oh my Lord, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. So he fell down and an angel went and plucked a coal and purged him. You know, tonight there may be some that feel like you can't praise like that. That you can't ascribe glory, praise and glory and honor to God. That you don't have the right to be able to cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You may have been at a place at one point where you felt like you were in good standing with God, but you kind of slipped away. You might, I, you know, I don't know. There could be a multitude of reasons, but I've got a story and I'm going to shorten up tonight because I believe God wants to do something. But I am going to share a little bit of a story. Go ahead and put my verse up. We'll go ahead and read it. It's Psalm 5111. Because I believe some of us sometimes feel like we can't praise like that. We see this going on and we don't understand. We feel like I can't praise like that because I've lost it. Something's not right and I can't do it. Here's what David said. And I'm going to go to this story and I'm going to work through this psalm. And I promise I'm going to try to do it quickly because I really believe God wants to do something here tonight. David said, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy holy spirit from me let's pray heavenly father i thank you tonight for the power and presence of your holy ghost in this house lord i simply pray that what we do could glorify and honor you and lord that through the power of your spirit that people could understand that they can have everything made right tonight lord that all they have to do is listen to the spirit calling them to repentance Lord, be in our midst and let us glorify and honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now see, this is one of my favorite psalms. And tonight is keeping right in line with that series of Pentecostal winds. Uh, I've not deviated from that. Matter of fact, this particular verse is the first place in the Old Testament that it specifically says Holy Spirit. Everywhere else, it's Spirit of God, which is the same thing that is the Holy Spirit. But here in particular is the first place that it says Holy Spirit. That, that I can remember there's only one other writer and one other place that that same terminology is used, and it is with Isaiah. But I think it's so important to understand that the situation that David is in right here, when he begs God not to take the Holy Spirit away from him, David is not in a good place. 
I believe that David's life mimics ours most of the time. I've told y'all time and again that I can relate to David real well because he sinned quite a bit and he kept going and doing things he shouldn't do and having to come back and repent. I can relate to Peter because he was a hothead and he cut off someone's ear and he would preach and see 3,000 saved and then he would turn around and get mad about something. I, can I can't relate to Paul real well that had one conversion experience and he forever walked the straight and narrow. I can't relate a whole lot to that. But anyway, David was in a bad spot here. And I believe this is for someone tonight or I wouldn't have had it. But we think that we get into these places where God has blessed us richly. We have followed God for a good period of time. And then all of a sudden we do something in ourselves that is a little bit ignorant, for lack of better words. We know not to do it. Maybe stupid would be a better word because we know not to do it. We're not ignorant of the subject. We don't have a lack of knowledge. We know not to do it and yet we will turn around and we will go do it anyway. And we do that and I believe we have been taught and I believe in our mind we think we get to this place to where God just don't want us anymore. To where we can't praise anymore. Where we just can't come back home again from that song. Uh, some call it heaven and I call it home. We, we believe that there comes a point we just can't get back home. But what I understand from the Bible is that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Or in other words, they are irrevocable. They are irrevocable. In other words, when God calls you into something and God gifts you with something, that calling and gifting just don't go away. You might walk away from it. You might walk into a place where you knew better than to go anyway. But God is still in the same place. Can I tell you tonight that he is still lifted up on his throne? He still has the creatures and the angels flying around him crying out, holy, holy, holy. He still has the four and the 20 elders that have fell down on their face and are still continually casting their crowns before his feet. God hasn't changed. If he called you to be something in the church, that calling has not left. You might have walked away from it. You might have sinned. You might have done things you shouldn't do. But I promise you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he called you yesterday and you messed up, today you could come back home. You can walk back to the feet of Jesus Christ. You can be recovered by the blood and you can go through a process of reconciliation and you can walk again in your calling. Now this story in Psalms 51 bears out of 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Now I'm going to run back a little bit and y'all can follow along. I'll be in, in, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, Psalm 51. But I want to take you way back because David was told that he would be king. He was anointed. The people of Israel had clamored for a king. They wanted someone big and pretty and strong. And, and they chose someone that God would not have chosen. God let them have their way. And ultimately Samuel was sent to anoint who would be next. And he went to Jesse and all of his sons were paraded through like show ponies. And he kept saying, he ain't the one. He ain't the one. He ain't the one. He said, well, I've only got one more. He's the youngest one. And he's out there tending to stuff that nobody else is going to do. He said, bring him in. He poured oil over his head. Now at that point, he's anointed and he's supposed to be the king of Israel. Yet he doesn't walk right into it. We know that he faces battles. Matter of fact, he goes out and he kills Goliath. 
We see on over in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that as he is aged and matured a bit, that he is out fighting these battles, and he is getting ready to be crowned king. We're getting close to that point. But yet he has this battle at Ziklag, and, and I've preached on this many times of David's Ziklag experience. And he has his men with him, and he goes out, but when he comes back into camp, everything that David has is taken away. And he goes back into camp, and he's a bit distraught, but then he gets even more so when everybody that is supposed to be lifting him up and supporting him and battling with him all of a sudden turn on him because all of their stuff is gone also. And David hit a point where he didn't sin, but instead, rather, he encouraged himself in the Lord. There wasn't nobody else around to encourage him, so David decided just to have him a praise party all on his own. He could have just as easily had a pity party. But he turned it and he looked at God and he was going to praise him anyway. And I love how that story ends. He, he inquired of God, God, can I go get my stuff back? And God looked at him and he said, pursue and you shall recover all and then some. Go and read the scripture. It tells you that he would recover all and then some. So God blessed him mightily. You see that he was able to bring the, the Ark of the Covenant back to where it was supposed to be and as he was bringing it in he got happy and he danced and he uncovered himself before his handmaidens that's how scripture puts it and his wife McCall who was Saul's daughter was looking out the window and she got a bit jealous she didn't understand I, I don't think or maybe she just wanted to glory for herself maybe she was upset that her daddy wasn't the one that was doing it and instead it was David so he goes in and and she is just really chastising him for what he done. He said, look, I'm going to be even more vile than this. I'm going to do what God would have me to do. And ultimately, McCall is barren. She never has a child. And all of a sudden, David is at that place that he fought chapter after chapter, story after story, victory after victory. Finally, David has come to the place to where he is in the position he was anointed to be in. And what happens then? There's still war in the land. And can I tell you just one quick thing? If you'll go to battle where you're supposed to go to battle, you won't be at home to look at a naked woman on your rooftop. That's exactly what David done. If he would have went into battle with his men, if he would have been doing what he needed to be doing, he would have never been on his rooftop to look across the sea, Bathsheba bathing. But yet he was, and he did, and then he coveted what his neighbor had. And they lay together, and she comes up pregnant. That's kind of what happens in those situations. Be sure your sins will find you out. But you know, David tried to cover it up. He called Bathsheba's husband back from the battlefield and, and he wanted him to go down to his wife because he had been absent for some time and that would be a natural thing for them to do. But he refused to leave the king's house and he slept at David's doorstep. So David then no longer had an excuse. So he said, well, I tell you what, you just stay here one more day. What he needed to do was get a note to Joab so he could make a plan to have Uriah killed. He sent Uriah to the very hottest part of battle and had everybody leave him alone so that he could die so that he wouldn't be found out and he could just bring Bathsheba on up to his house. So that's what he done and he does this and Bathsheba comes up 
and she has a child. All this is through 2 Samuel 11 and 12. So she has this child, a son actually, but chapter 11 ends and it says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So the Lord sent Nathan his way and he came and he told him this parable of this rich man and this poor man, this rich man having everything that he wanted or could ever need or desire at his disposal. And there was a poor man that had one little you. Just one, one little lamb. That was all he had. He cared for it. He nurtured it. Nurtured it. They grew up together. And yet the rich man decided he had to have that also. And David got mad. David got mad and he said, they need to die right now. And Nathan looked at him and said, you're that man. So obviously David was grieved. David said unto Nathan down in verse 13, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put thy sin, put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. But, he went on to say, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Now David started fasting and praying, and ultimately the child died, and the elders were afraid to go tell David. But he heard them murmuring and talking, so he finally went and asked them. And he said, is the child dead? They said, he's dead. So David, instead of mourning and fasting and praying at that point, gets up, washes himself, praises the Lord, and eats. And they didn't understand why. So they asked him, they said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and sweat, wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now, if you want a verse about a child dying, being in heaven, right there you go. If you've been looking for scriptural reference of a child that is in infancy dying and they are accepted back into heaven, right there you go. David said, I shall go to him, but he shall not come back to me. Now, fast forward over to Psalm 51. That is when David wrote this psalm. In other words, David had been anointed, David had fought battle after battle, David had lived for the Lord all the days of his life. He had done the right thing time after time after time. When things got tough, when everybody wanted to kill him, he encouraged himself in the Lord. But one day, one time, he messed up. Now granted, it was a bad mess up. I hope nobody in here has messed up quite to the point to where you've got your neighbor's wife pregnant, you've killed her husband to keep it from being found out. I hope you've not done quite that bad. But even in the midst of that, 
And and I say that kind of joking, but listen to me tonight. If you're in a place where you don't feel like you can praise God, where you don't feel like you can cry, holy, 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 where you don't feel like you're worthy to come before the throne, understand that David, David, the apple of God's eye, man after God's own heart, had sinned. He had committed adultery. He had got his neighbor's wife pregnant. He had conspired to cover it up. And when he couldn't, he committed murder and then took the only thing Uriah had that mattered any at all to him for his own by killing him. I don't think you have messed up that bad. But it was at that time that David sat down. Because you can look at the top of it, it says to the chief musician, the Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone to Bathsheba. So he had already been told by God that this child is going to die. You have sinned greatly. So he sits down and he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. You know, sometimes that's we sometimes we don't need to go further than that. Sometimes we just need to get into the presence of the Lord. We need to get down on our face before Him. We need to holler out, have mercy upon me, O God. Not because I've done something real terrible, not because I've done something real great, but just have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness. To Your steadfast loyalty. To Your commitment that You don't want to see me die and go to hell. God, have mercy Upon me. Blot out my according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Do you understand? This is not someone sitting on a church pew worried about what their neighbor might say about them. This is the king of Israel that is going to have not just. 30, 40 people in a church house looking at him coming forward. He's got the entirety of the nation of Israel looking at him, knowing that their king messed up. And yet he still knew to go before God. I don't know why we have to let our pride get in the way of repentance. Why we have to let our pride get in the way of calling out to God. Why we worry so much about what some neighbor down the road thinks. It is between you and God. And if you let pride get in your way of going to heaven, then shame on you. Who cares what they think? If you get in the presence of God, everything will be erased. If you'll get in the presence of God, you can cry out to him for the mercy that you so desire and you so need. If you will forget what Jane or Joe sitting beside you is going to think about it, you can get before God and by his mercies he will blot out your transgressions. If the king of Israel didn't care what the whole nation thought about him, why do you care? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. Now, you want to know something the Holy Spirit's good for? You know, I've been preaching different things that the Holy Spirit will do for you. Different things about the Holy Spirit that we need to know, even as Pentecostals, that are all about that initial evidence of speaking in tongues. That's just scratching the surface and has really not a lot to do with the Holy Ghost.
You want to know what the Holy Ghost will do for you? He'll make you repent. How do I know that? Because in verse 3, here's what David cries out. I acknowledge my transgressions. He didn't just cry out for God to cover it up and walk away from it. But he got before God and he acknowledged God for who he was. He acknowledged God for what he was, for what he's able to do. And then he got before him and he said, I know that I have transgressed against your law. I know I have sinned against you. I know I have done what I'm not supposed to do. And my sin is ever before me. That's what the Holy Ghost will do for you. When you've walked good for 20, 30 years, when you've walked good for five days and then you mess up, what the Holy Ghost will do will make you come before the throne of God because the Holy Spirit in you will speak to you that that's where you can go where you can find the blood of Christ. That's where you can go where you can find some forgiveness. That's where you can go to get filled back up. That's where you can go to be able to walk upright. That's where you can go to be able to experience the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That's where you can go to be able to find healing for your soul. The Holy Ghost will draw you back to God the Father and the blood of Jesus Christ. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and to be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin we're all born into sin. Now, I tend to think that right here he's acknowledging that even his son was born out of a sinful act. But make no mistake, every one of us is born into sin. We're born in a sinful world. In sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. I talked about that this morning. We need to quit praying for someone to be delivered from this or to be set free from that. We just need to start praying for their soul because from the inside, the fruit outside will start showing differently. He desires truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew. That means he had it once. He had it once. He lost it and he desires it again. Renew a right spirit within me. Then we get to the verse that I read to start. Cast me not away from thy presence. You see, we get people that walk away from God all the time, and yet His presence chases after us. How's the Scripture word to train up a child in the way they should go, and the way will not depart from them. It doesn't say that they'll never depart from Christ. It says He won't quit chasing after them. David done some of the worst things that could ever be done. And yet here he is and he recognizes the call of the Spirit on his life and he begs God to take him back. Now what happens, and I'm only going to read one more verse from here and then I'm going to explain something to you and then 
I'm just going to do an altar call. I, I could go through all of it, but I'm not tonight. Verse 12 says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now you might think you're happy doing this and that and the other, but if you've experienced the joys of the Lord and you have walked away, you have done things you knew better than to do and you have went and done something else, you no longer have joy of salvation in your heart. I don't know how else to put it, but if you have walked away, you no longer have the joy of salvation. In fact, I would suggest that you don't have real joy at all because it is a spirit that God breathed into your body. It is a body that God fashioned and created and put his spirit, his breath into to bring you to life. And if you do not follow after that spirit, you will always have an emptiness inside of you. You will walk around every day with a clown smile on. What I mean by that, clowns aren't smiling. They just got their makeup on to make it look like they are. You can walk around and pretend to be happy every day. Oh, I've got a great job and they're paying me good money. I just got me a new truck. I just got a new house and every bit of that will fade away heaven and earth shall fade away but the word of God will stand forever there's coming a day when heaven and earth shall be done away with and a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem will be here for us and if you're not covered under the blood of Jesus Christ then what happens to that new car it's gone that new house is gone what happens to that new job you're not going to be around to work it anymore you're going to be tormented and experiencing the absence of God in all the day for eternity It'll never end. But if you will come back to where God has called you to, one, I told you, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They are irrevocable. But also you can have restored to you the joy of your salvation. And not only that, but you can be upheld by the Spirit of God. You won't have to do it on your own anymore. You won't have to keep looking for a neighbor to prop you up. For even a church family to prop you up. Now, don't get me wrong. We will. That's what we're supposed to do. But you won't have to look for it. Because he says, uphold me with your spirit. God will prop you up. Can I tell you how much David was loved by God? You can actually look in Chronicles. And see that despite everything that David done, now you can keep reading on and you'll see he took a census when, when he wasn't supposed to and he had to repent. David's life was a mess after he got to be king. It was filled with peaks and valleys. While the early part of his life was absolutely golden and he encouraged himself and all of these things, there come a point when David didn't know how to stay on the right course. But every time he repented and he went back to God. And there was only one reason that God would not let him build the temple. It was not because of his adultery. It was not because he murdered Uriah. It was not because he took a census when he wasn't supposed to. In other words, it had nothing to do with the sin of David as to why he could not build the temple. In 1 Chronicles 22, verses 6 through 8 specifically, it tells you exactly why he couldn't build it. Why am I going here? Because there's some people sitting in here tonight, I believe, that have, you, you feel like you can't build what God has called you to build. You feel like you've messed up and can't do what God wants you to do. I just told you, David sinned as bad as anybody in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit was still calling after him.
He still knew that he could have the joy of his salvation restored. He still knew that he could be upheld by the Spirit of God. You may say, well, that's all well and good, but now I can't do what God has called me to do. David done all of that, and the only reason he couldn't build the temple, he said, then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build the house unto the name of the Lord my God. David wanted to build it. But the word of the Lord came to David and said, you have shed blood abundantly and have made great wars. He didn't look at David and say, you sinned on June 12th back in, oh, I don't know, whatever date it was. And because you lusted after Bathsheba, because you acted upon adultery with Bathsheba, because you killed Uriah, because on this day you took a census and you wasn't supposed to, I'm not going to let you do the work I called you to do. What he said is you've made great war and you spilled a lot of blood in this land, conquering this land for me because I sent you to do it. But because you've spilt that blood, I cannot let you build the temple. But here's what I will promise you. Behold, a son shall be born to thee who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all of his enemies. You see, David destroyed the enemies and because he shed that blood, he couldn't build the temple. Not because he sinned. Listen to me tonight. Because of what you've done yesterday does not mean you can't do what God has called you to do. David, in all of his sin... The only reason he wasn't allowed to build it is, ironically, because he'd done the work of the Lord spilling blood in the land. But God, even in that, told him, you will have a son. And his name shall be Solomon, and I will give him peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. And he shall build a house for my name. David, I'm not going to let you do it, but it's going to be built up in your honor by your son. Tonight quite simply, is this. You need to return. The Spirit will make you repent. Don't let someone whisper in your ear or anything whisper in your ear that you are not worthy to do what God has called you to do. You have not done as bad as David. You have not done as bad as Peter. And both of those men, were loved by God and are loved by God. And I believe that they are right now at the very throne of God. Casting their crowns before the throne. Despite the adultery, despite the murder, despite the deceit. Despite cutting off Malchus's ear in the garden. Despite taking his eyes off of Christ when he was walking across the water. Despite denying Christ three times the night that he was crucified. Yeah, Peter done all of that. And yet he still preached the gospel. What makes you think God won't do the same for you? Here's one. If you need to come home, you need to come home. Listen to me. If you need to come home, you need to come home. David done it with all of Israel watching. What's well, 30 or 40 people in a church house in Logan County on a Sunday night? You may feel like you've went too far, but you've not.
You need to come home. You need to come and submit your life to Christ and He will restore the giftings and callings to you. He still loves you. He still wants you to be in a place where you look out and you cry out, Holy, holy, holy. He wants you to be one that is around His throne falling down with the twenty and the four elders at the end of days. He loved David. He loved Peter. He loves you. Now for anybody else, come and praise Him. I was going to say come and examine yourself, but no, come and praise Him. Just come and get in His presence. And I believe if we will just come and praise, that He will take care of the rest. If we lift His name up and we ascribe to Him praise and glory and honor, Anything that needs to happen will happen. So if you will, the altars are open. If you will, just come and praise Him. You can kneel down. You can stand and raise your hands. You can fall down on your face. Just come and praise Him tonight.